That was Joan Shivarpita Harrigan, um, expert in Kundalini. Uh, she's a monastic. Uh, and and uh, it, I enjoyed that, Phil, because, you know, the term Kundalini is used. Uh, I think the first time I heard Kundalini, I was watching the movie Woodstock, and there's a scene where a guy's doing this very intense breathing pranayam, and he's trying huh. to get energy, and it was all about having a very flashy experience of energy going up the spine. But she was very clear that, their process is gentle. It's much more than that, and it's about uh, energy. It seems nourishing the body and bringing uh, higher states of consciousness. So, yeah. uh, but she was very clear in what she had to yeah. say. It's it's fascinating uh, the different perspectives that people have on Kundalini and the mm-hmm. different methods, and 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 some of it is is seems to be just misunderstanding or sensationalism. Uh, but some of it is just that you know you deal, we're dealing with a phenomenon that um, is essentially all, uh, uh, an innate aspect of uh, the creation, essentially, and and is sort of guiding the spiritual progress of individual human beings um, or driving it. And so, you know, some of it these differences are are just different. Mm, methodologies, different interpretations, different ways into the phenomenon of spiritual growth. Um, and I don't know if there's, you know, one right way or wrong way. We've already, in our archive, we have at least two or three other people who have talked uh, with great uh, uh, expertise about Kundalini. We interviewed Stuart Savatsky. We mm-hmm. interviewed Sally Kempton. Uh, I think there may even be others who we've we've asked about Kundalini and and their interpretation of it. So anybody interested in listening should go back into the archive and at least listen to those as well. Right, uh, I, I, it's it is fascinating, and it does seem, Phil, from what she said and what others have said, there may be some people that uh, spontaneously have very powerful experiences of uh, the rising of energy in the spine, what we would call Kundalini, and are sometimes confused with it and. And like she said, they're not a hotline for people having those problems. That's issues that have to be taken with others that, that can deal with it. But that uh, it is part of the human physiology to, to have that experience uh, and, and, and that it can be cultured in a way that's very comfortable, uh, soft and gentle and easy. And, and one should gain a, a great uh, uh, balance and uh, yeah. stability from it. Yeah, and and you know she she used the uh, the term toward the end when she said they weren't equipped to handle uh, uh, Kundalini emergence or emergency. Right. Those terms were thrown about back in the seventies when uh, people like Stuart Savatsky were in the you know uh, dealing with uh, people having uh, unsettling experiences, often through um, whatever. A spiritual path they were on, sometimes by being overzealous and sort of inducing experiences they couldn't uh, handle or that just happened and um, didn't know what to do. And, and there were people uh, turning to uh, psychiatrists and, and psychotherapists who were not um, educated about mm-hmm. such things and just interpret them as psychotic experience and medicated people, some even institutionalized people or put mm-hmm. them through psychotherapeutic practices that did not 
um, honor or take into account that this could be um, uh, a, a dramatic moment in a person's spiritual path if understood and framed and, and handled in the right way. That's why they started using the term spiritual emergence instead of emergency. Right, right. And, and, and that's why I think it's good that uh, yeah, over the years, in the last 30, 40 years, many psychotherapists, many people in the area of, of uh, Western uh, psychology dealing with mental health uh, have become more familiar with these terms and, and procedures. I remember Dr. Bernard Good look at the uh, Hartford Institute of Living was one of the first uh, uh, psychiatrists uh, uh, to, to look into this sort of thing. And, and since then, there have been many, many others. Uh, Phil, I wanted to ask you about one thing. Uh, I, I really do still struggle with the concept of non-duality. Um, now, now <laughs> conceptually, just, just theoretically, we're all one. I understand that. But experientially, and, and, and she didn't say this, but so many times I've heard from non-dual teachers or whatever, oh, it's already there, there's nothing to learn, it's all one, yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. But there's still, you know, we live in a world where experientially, for from, from me anyway, uh, there's myself, there's you, and there's everything else I experience. Of course. And on some deep level, I can understand uh, that uh, theoretically we're all tied together on uh, a quantum level, on a level of consciousness or whatever. But I think the way some folks mention it so matter-of-factly still leaves me uh, somewhat confused or thinking that everyone else in the world is having a much more profound experience of life than me. Maybe not. Maybe it's the opposite. <laughs> I, and I think, I, I don't know, you know, we've, we've talked about this business of non-duality. I think there's a lot of confusion. And people often talk about non-duality as if um, recognizing or even acknowledging that <laughs> there's differences in separation and uh, apparent duality in the world is a mistake that, you know, you should somehow operate as if everything's one, in which case it wouldn't matter what side of the road you drove on. <laughs> or, right, right. You know, falling in love would be uh, impossible. And, you know, it, it, whether you look at the manifest world and my the difference between you and me and everybody else as uh, illusory, or real, it, it doesn't much matter. You still have to function. Right, right. You're still, and, and in, a body, you're still yeah. in a body I, and, and all that. And I think there's a, a, a lot of misunderstanding about right. the interpretation of words like illusion and uh, real and unreal. It, it just means that, to me, I mean, the simple way I try to look at it is, is, is that if something you call something illusory, it could mean it doesn't exist. Or it could mean that it's not what you think it is. And I think it's more the latter kind of interpretation. The world is obviously real and it exists. It's just not what we think it is. Right, exactly. There's more to it. That, that I understand. And, and I'm sure there's people listening in that are thinking, oh, Dennis, this is just so simple. Uh, but I will tell you, right now I'm feeling at two with everything. And uh, <laughs> uh, occasionally at one with something, you know, uh, but uh, no, I, I do get it, I think. Uh, but uh, again, uh, a, a work in process, something. Yeah. You want to go. And, and on the experiential level, you either experience oneness or you don't. But even if you, whether you do or you don't, you still right. have to 
as the Zen people say, you still have to chop wood and carry water, exactly. and you still have to feed this body, uh, and you still have to, you know, talk to human beings uh, who may be one with you, but they're still also different. And and to me, that's the more sophisticated understanding of non-duality. Mm-hmm. That non-dual oneness includes the apparent dualities. Otherwise, it's not non-dual. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, let's leave uh, it on that it's note. All, it's all too crazy, but... <laughs> we'll unravel that knot as our uh, podcast continues. <laughs> and uh, lots more uh, wonderful guests uh, coming up. And uh, uh, stay tuned. But again, we're at uh, spiritmatterstalk.com. Tell your friends about it. You can email us. All the information is there at the, uh, uh, at the podcast website. And... Uh, Till next time, Phil, another excellent uh, guest. Yes. Okay, Dennis. Pr- keep, uh, keep that kundalini rising yep. in the meantime. Keep it going up. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Take care.